Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Hey everyone, thanks for jumping online with us today. We are launching into a brand new three-part series called The Separation of Church and Hate. If you haven't noticed, we've been in a little bit of a political season as of late. In fact, you might even say that 2020 itself has been an entire political year, it's felt like. Like, There are things that we have turned into politics that I had no idea that could be political, like wearing a mask. Like in the new year 2020, who knew that wearing a mask would be a contentious piece of politics? Did not see that one coming. But it's true that right now, especially in our country, heading into election, we are in a very deep entrenched political season. And it feels like, as of late, our politics have been designed to actually divide, to divide us, to to cause uh, polarization within our communities, within our, our families even. But the reality is that underneath all of the talking heads, underneath all the rhetoric, that there are real issues that real people feel really different about. And if we're not careful, it becomes so easy to hate those other people on the other side of the line than us. But the reality is, is that Jesus provides a better way for us. Jesus provides a better way for us to be human. Jesus provides a better way for us to live our lives. And and the reality is, the truth is, Jesus even does provide a better way for us to even be Americans. And so we're going to dive into this series talking about how we need to behave honestly as followers of Jesus when it comes to our politics. Now, I would be willing to bet that watching right now that there's two groups of people that are watching this sermon. And as you hear the fact that we're going to talk about politics in church, you feel one of two ways. You're either going, yes, finally, ACF is going to tell my friends, my family how to vote. They're going to align with me and my families that have been telling me I'm wrong and who I'm voting for, ACF's going to get them on the right track. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you. That will not be happening. If you're sitting watching this right now thinking, my friend, fill in the blank of their name, 
should be watching this or you're already thinking about who you're going to forward this onto, you're missing the point. I'm talking to you today. Honestly, I'm talking to me today. We all need to be hearing this. Now, the other side of the line is there's probably a group of people going, what? You guys are going to be talking about politics? There are three things that should not be talked about in church. Sex, money, and politics. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you, um, but that is something that we do at ACF is we talk about hard topics. We get into people's lives because we believe the word of God is to get into our lives and should affect us, especially in areas like sex, money, and politics. So we're going to dive into this now. But before we dive in, I'm going to ask you to not assume that everybody in the room thinks the same way you do, plans to vote the same way you do, that you would assume that everyone in the room thinks differently than you do in your outpost. Don't think that everyone feels the same way about Biden as you. Don't think that everyone feels the same way about Trump as you. Don't think that everyone feels the same way about COVID or about masks than you. Don't think that everyone feels the same way that LeBron James is the goat over Michael Jordan like you do. Now, I know I just lost a bunch of you right there. Your minds are blown. You're freaking out. I'm sorry, but it's true. Let's move on. But don't assume that everyone thinks the same way you do because when we do that, we end up really doing some real damage as we trash another party or we trash another politician, assuming everyone's going to laugh and think that we're all on the same page when we are not. So let's enter conversation with people that are around us, whether it's today or whether it's in your office. But let's enter these conversations with humility. It is no secret that our country feels divided right now. Division is is really running rampant and it only seems and it feels to be going deeper and deeper and deeper. And the truth of the matter is so often the division comes through things like fear. That fear will drive us to draw a line in the sand. That fear will drive us to even hate other people because we're afraid of things. We're afraid of what we might lose. We're afraid of what might happen to our family if this person becomes president or if that person becomes president. And and to be honest, I don't think anyone's going to be shocked to hear when I say that there's a lot of fear in our country right now. And if I could be honest and real for a moment, I've, I've truly tasted a bit of this fear. I remember back in, in, in March and April and May during uh, the, the riots in Minneapolis when George Floyd was killed and riots ensued in Minneapolis, one of my dearest Friends, one of my best friends growing up as a kid is pastoring at a church in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And he's calling me, telling me how the riots are like right outside his house. He lives near downtown and, and he's blocks away from the riots. And I remember when the riots broke out, going to bed kind of that first night, fearing for my friend's life and going to bed praying and, and, and truly afraid. So there is a real fear in our country right now, and, and we're all feeling it at different degrees. But there is real fear going on, and, and, and there are people who are truly afraid. 
if Trump wins, they are terrified of that. There are people who are truly afraid if Joe Biden wins, they're, they're terrified of what that might mean. There are people that are truly afraid if either of them win, what that means for us as citizens of this country. And and there's real fear that we're dealing with. And I I want to take a moment to quote um, the great master. And that is this, that, that fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate and hate leads to suffering. Master Yoda. I didn't really want to use a Star Wars reference in this, but it felt it was just too perfect not to use because the reality is that's true. We fear and typically what we fear, we end up hating and hate we can see so obviously in this country has led to real suffering. And so what we want to do, what we want to talk about today is how do we separate the church from hate Because the reality is, in this present climate, the church has looked no different than our society. The church has looked no different. I would say that I am seeing and even experiencing just as much hate coming out of the church as as there is in our society. As the the mudslinging and the name calling and, and, and the finger pointing and all that has been going back and forth between our politicians, it's also happening and coming from the church. The church has got to look different than our world. There is nobody looking at the church right now going, that is what we need to look like. That is how we need to act. That is how we need to be. Look at the church. They are so full of love, no matter what side of the political line you're on. They're so full of caring for each other. They support each other. That's it. No one's saying that because it's not a reality. Church, we have got to do a better job. And that's what we're, we're going to talk about today. And that's what we're going to jump into. See, Jesus lays out this idea. Jesus lays out this idea of loving each other. And in, in Matthew chapter 13, what's going on here is Jesus is having his last meal with the disciples. He's about to start down the road that's going to lead them to the cross. And so he gathers the disciples and they're, they're going together to have a meal together. They're going to celebrate Passover and Jesus brings them to this place. And as they enter, Jesus does something that blows their minds. He gets down, he gets a basin of water and he starts washing their feet. Now the act of feet washing was something that was super common. This happened pretty much anywhere and everywhere you went. You would go to someone's house, their servant would come and wash your feet because they just wore sandals everywhere and there's a lot of dirt and, and, and they didn't take their sandals off. And so they'd come and they'd wash feet to stay clean. But what never happened was the master of the house washing his guest's feet. What never happened was the teacher or the rabbi or the person that you were there to see would never get down and wash your feet. And this this blows the disciples' minds so much that they don't even know how to handle it. Peter's like, no, you, you cannot wash my feet, Jesus. Like, you can't do that. You're the master. But Jesus leads the way showing that true leadership, that, that true uh, servanthood, that loving people comes through serving other people. And he gets down, he washes the disciples' feet, all 12 of them. 
You see, the next thing that happens, they sit down around the dinner table and they start talking and Jesus starts telling them what's about to happen. And then Jesus says this saying, he says, one of you is about to betray me. And then he hands Judas a cup and Judas gets up and he walks out and he leaves and the domino effects have started. But you see, what Jesus did not do was get Judas to leave and then wash the disciples' feet. No, what, Judas, what Jesus does is he washes even Judas's feet, the one he knows is going to betray him, showing everyone that it, it's not about serving just your friends. It's even about serving those who would oppose you and be against you. You see, and then in, in, in Matthew 13, Jesus does this, right? He washes their feet. He sits down with them. And then Jesus tells them this. He says, guys, I have a new commandment for you. And I'm sure the disciples, their ears perked up. They're like, a, a new commandment? Okay, what is this new commandment? And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 13, starting in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one another. So Jesus tells the disciples, look, this is what you're supposed to do. Love one another. And you may have even heard that a lot lately. I, I've heard that so much from people. Hey, we just got to love our way through this tension in the United States right now. And that's true to a degree. But Jesus doesn't just say love one another. What he says is love one another the way that I loved you through complete servanthood to serve each other. And that is the way the church is to love the world around it. And even that is the way the church is to love the enemies of the church. See, the problem is if we look just like the world, then we're never going to reach the world. We have to look different than the world. The world does not get down and serve each other. No, it is all about survival of the fittest. I got to get mine while the getting's good. But Jesus says, no, we got to look different than the world. That is how they'll know you are my disciples. Not by your political party, not by the things that you're against, not by any of these things. There's one way they're going to know you're my disciple, and that is if you are loving each other. You see, John writes a letter to the church, the Apostle John. And this is years later, years later. John was a teenager when this Last Supper happened. And, and years later, believed when John is in, in, in his 70s, he writes a letter to the church. And, and to be honest, the church was experiencing a political climate change there was a political climate that was changing around Rome. And what was happening was the church was becoming under massive persecution. Major persecution to the church, like real persecution. They weren't just being asked to wear masks. No, they were being fed to lions. They were being lit on fire for simply having faith in Jesus Christ. And so you can imagine that they're being discouraged. You can imagine that there's real fear within the church. And, and we know historically that there were a lot of people abandoning their faith because, to be honest, they didn't want to get fed to lions. And so I'm sure within the church, there was even a lot of hate going on, hate for the people that were abandoning their faith. And I'm sure there was plenty of hate going towards the Roman government. But this is what John writes to the church 
what he writes to remind them of who they are. He writes this in 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 14. He says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. In other words, what John is saying is, do you want to know if you're truly a follower of Jesus? Do you want to know truly if your sins have been forgiven? If you've gone from death to life, if you want a litmus test for that, here's the litmus test. Do you love your brothers? Do you love your sisters in Christ? That is how we know we've passed from death to life. But then he goes on and he says, the one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in them. Those are pretty sobering words from John. You know that if you hate your brother, you are a murderer. And really what John's doing is he's reminding everybody of the words of Jesus himself, what he said, that if you have hatred in your heart, You've already murdered your brother. See, church, we, we've got to learn how to separate ourselves from the hate. And I know what you might be saying. You might be going, yeah, Josh, look, I don't actually hate people. I just hate their political party. I hate the things that that, that, that party stands for. It's not the people I hate. It's the, the evil that that party kind of promotes. I hate the evil. And we're supposed to hate evil, right? Like, doesn't it say in scripture that we're supposed to hate what is evil? We'll get to that in a minute. Um, But what I would say to you is, um, I don't believe you. And I don't believe you because I'm on Facebook too. (laughs) I see all these posts on Facebook spewing hate towards our mayor, right? Spewing hate towards you know, the superintendent. Like we, we hate these things because they're, they're, maybe we're afraid or like we see problems in what they stand for. So we, we were drawn to hate because it's so easy to be drawn to hate. And the reality is it's really easy to hate when you think you're always right. It's so easy to hate the other side, the other party, the other people, it's so easy to hate when you think you're always right. And the reality is, it's easy to think you're always right if you think that Jesus would always agree with you, right? Like, if, if you think that Jesus agrees with your position, then of course you're right. And if Jesus agrees with your position, then they are clearly wrong. And so it's okay to hate them. We even think like Jesus agrees with my political party. Heck, it's why I'm part of this political party. It's because Jesus would align with it. Jesus would agree with it. And the truth of the matter is both parties think that. Democrats think that Jesus would align with their political party because of their emphasis on, on, on the poor and the weak and social justice. Republicans think that Jesus would absolutely align with their political party because of their family values that they promote. Both sides of the line fully believe that Jesus would align with their political party. And the reason both sides do that is because When we read scripture, we filter scripture through our political lens. 
And we have got to stop doing that. So often when we read the scriptures, when we read our Bibles, we read it through our political lens. And when you read the Bible through your political lens, Jesus will always agree with you. And it's great. But we have got to stop reading the word of God through our political lens. What we need to do is view our politics through the lens of scripture. We are both sure that Jesus would be on our side of the line. And what I mean by that, an example of that is really simple. Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Jesus says the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. He puts an emphasis on children. But the question is, what children? The unborn children? That the Republicans are fighting so hard to protect? Or the poor, impoverished children? That the Democrats are trying to get health care to easier? Which children? Which side of the line? Would Jesus choose one over the other? The unborn children versus the refugee children? The, the, the fetus versus the minority? Like, would Jesus choose one side of the line over the other one? Of, of course he would not. Of course he would not. And don't get me wrong. I am not saying that we shouldn't call some things out. I'm not saying that abortion is not evil. I believe that abortion is absolutely, completely evil. I believe that abortion, that the very idea of it was born from the pit of hell. But I also believe that ignoring the orphans, ignoring the widows, ignoring the refugees, ignoring the minorities is equally just as evil. And, and, and the pride that comes with that and the idea that I don't want to take care of you, you should figure it out on your own, is also an attitude that is born out of the pit of hell. I believe that both are evil. But when we read scripture, we've got to take off our political lenses because what we end up doing is just making Jesus agree with us and then it becomes so easy to hate the other side of the aisle. See, and this is where it gets really dangerous when we do this. When we filter scripture through our political lens, it gets really dangerous. Because what we see is that Jesus is for our party. And he's for our platform. And he's for our candidate. And so if Jesus is for all of that, that means Jesus is clearly against the other side. And clearly, obviously, Jesus is against the other side. Against their platform. Against their candidate. Because they're, they're evil. And so if they're evil, it's okay to hate them. And what I see happening in the church so much is we literally are hating in the name of Jesus. I hate you, but it's okay because Jesus would hate you because of what you stand for. And instead of doing the thing that Jesus calls us to do, to love like him, to serve like him, to become lowly like him, no, we puff ourselves out. We say Jesus aligns with our side of the line and then we hate in the name of Jesus thinking that that is what Jesus calls us to do. Thinking that this is the place that Jesus brings us to. Again, like I said, 
there are evil things that we do need to call out, that we do need to talk about. But this is kind of what, it, what I'm talking about. This is what it sounds like when we hate in the name of Jesus. Abortion is evil. God hates what is evil. So we should do everything we can to abolish abortion. Therefore, if you don't support pro-life, I hate you in the name of Jesus right? Racism is evil. God hates what is evil. We should do everything we can to abolish racism. Therefore, if you don't support Black Lives Matter, I hate you in the name of Jesus. You see this road that we get to, especially as the church, where we can find ourselves hating in the name of Jesus. And we become so aligned with our parties that we think that God is aligned with our parties and that, that like if, we, if we deviate at all from the idea or, or, or a principle or something that our party is promoting, like, well, I'm deviating from God because God's part of my party. But the reality is he's, he's just not. He's not left. He's not right. God is for humanity. He's for taking over. I love the, the, hearing, uh, the quote that I just heard a couple of weeks ago, God is not here to take sides. He's here to take over and he should take over in your life first. He should take over our churches that we would learn to walk in love and humility. But we end up thinking it's okay that we hate them and we don't even question it anymore in our hearts. The fact that we're hating other people. I love what Andy Stanley says on this topic. He has this quote, it's brilliant. Andy asks this question, and this is a hard question to ask, but I want us to think about this, to ponder this question. He says, are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of faith rather than create a version of faith that supports your politics? I'm gonna read that one more time. Are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of our faith rather than create a version of faith that supports your politics. See, we all need to stop and think and question and look inside. In, in, in the book of Romans, Paul, Paul addresses uh, this area of our lives. Paul, the, the book of Romans, if you don't know, it, it's, it's one of the most astute books in the New Testament. It is deep and rich in theology and in doctrine. And Paul is writing to a group of people that are like second generation Christians. And so he's explaining to them, they didn't get a chance to walk with Jesus. They've only heard. And so he's opening up these mysteries to them about sin, about brokenness, about redemption, about forgiveness, about grace about these things called justification and sanctification that were made right before God. And then right in the middle of this letter, he like stops. And he's like, okay, now that you know this, this is how you should live. He basically gives a lesson on Christian ethics. And I want to read this chunk of scripture. I'm going to read it all the way through. And then we're going to jump back and talk about it for a moment. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse nine. This is what Paul writes. He says, love must be without hypocrisy. Detest evil, cling to what is good, show family affection to one another with brotherly love, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer, share with the saints in their needs, pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless 
and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. I love this part. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourself. Instead, leave room for his wrath, for it is written. Now, Paul's about to quote Deuteronomy 32 and Proverbs 25. Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will heap fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. And there's a lot there. I could spend hours with you guys in that scripture, in that text. And we're not going to do that today. But I want to pull out a few key points and a few key pieces. The first one is right off the top. Paul says, love must be without hypocrisy. So we're talking about this love that Jesus told us to love one another. And that's how the world is going to know that we're Christians, that we're followers of Jesus. But I love what Paul says here. He says, love without hypocrisy. In other words, what hypocrisy means is fake, that you're pretending. He says, don't, don't pretend to love people. Actually love them. Don't just tolerate your democratic brother-in-law. Love your democratic brother-in-law. Don't just tolerate your Republican sister. Love your Republican sister. Don't just tolerate the other side of the aisle. Love the other side of the aisle. We can't fake it. But remember, this is what John says. He says, look, this is how you know you've passed from death to life. If you love each other. See, this is something that while it can be challenging, it should be something that is not impossible because Jesus is in our lives and he is in our hearts. See, I have a question for you. I want to ask you this question. At the end of this election... You know, on November 4th, if the person that I want to win wins, but hate fills my heart and I do not love, did I really win? I want to I I say that again. I want you to ask yourself this question in the mirror. If at the end of the election, the person I wanted to win wins, but hate has filled my heart and I do not love, did I really win? It's a question that I hope we can be quick to answer honestly, but sometimes I think we don't even think about that. Like, no, that my person won. All is going to be awesome in the world now. And if you didn't vote for him, tough for you. In fact, I probably hate you because you've been saying some terrible things about my candidate. No, we cannot allow ourselves to get to that place. Another piece of this that Paul says is he says, Right after, they says, detest what is evil. Detest evil. Yeah, see, Josh, it says right there, we are to hate evil. And yes, it does. But the question I want to ask you is this. What is evil? What is evil? Is sin evil? Is all sin evil? Is your sin evil? 
See, when we start going down the road and we start asking those questions, we really got to start pointing the finger at us when we say we must hate evil. That is true, but we must hate the evil in our own lives first. Now, is it true that there are things out there that are evil, that are outside of us? Yes, absolutely. And we want to do something about that. We want to talk about that. We want to see those things come to an end, but we can't just only focus on that. Because the reality is, is abortion evil? Yes, I believe 100% that abortion is evil. Is not caring for the poor evil? Yes, I believe 100% that not caring for the poor is evil. But is the way I speak to my wife sometimes evil? Yeah, sometimes the way I speak to my wife is evil is the arrogance and the pride that sometimes fills my heart that makes me elevate myself above others evil? Yeah, sometimes the arrogance and pride that enters my heart is evil. Is sometimes the way I handle my money by hoarding it and not being generous with it evil? Yeah, sometimes the way I hoard my money and not be generous with it is evil. Yeah, we are to hate evil, but we have got to start by looking at ourselves. Jesus was so clear with this in Scripture when he says things like, look, get the plank out of your own eye before you try to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Jesus talks to the Pharisees and he says, look, you guys are trying to strain out this little gnat of technicality when you're eating a camel. In other words, you're so focused on everyone else and everyone else's sin and and the evil that lives in everybody else that you have not one time looked in the mirror and looked to your own heart and attempted to rectify and take care of and seek forgiveness for and restoration for the evil that it is in your own life. Cling to what is good. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Jesus has this conversation with a young man and the young man walks up to him and says, good teacher. And Jesus stops him right there. He says, why do you call me good? Don't you know that there's only one thing that is good and that is God. So clinging to what is good, Paul's literally telling us cling to God. It is not cling to your side of the line, cling to your party. Your party is not good. There is no good party. Only God is good. And that is where our hope comes from. That is where our future lies. It lies in the goodness of God. But we forget that. And we can get swept up in the rhetoric all around us. And we start clinging to our party lines. We start clinging to our candidates that we're going to vote for. And we get so tied up in it that we can't find ourselves separating from them. And we cling to that instead of God. And and honestly, we think that we're clinging to God when we cling to our own political party, but we're not. We must cling to God because God is the answer. God is the way through all of this that God would fill your heart with love and not with hate. The Republican Party is not the hope of our nation. The Democratic Party is not the hope of our nation. God is the hope of our nation of our nation and he's the hope of the believer and if we're going to if we are to get other people to see that it must start by loving them 
and loving each other and separating our church from hate. And you guys, the reality is I'm not asking you I'm not asking anyone to change political lines. I'm not asking you to jump from one side to the other, from one party to the other. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm not telling you any of those things. But what I'm asking you is today, could we begin to filter our politics through the lens of Scripture instead of filtering Scripture through the lens of our politics and be honest about our parties and our party lines because there are some good things in the Republican Party. There are some good things in the Democratic Party, but there's also some terrible things in the Republican Party and there are some terrible things in the Democratic Party. And can we not cling to those, but cling to God? And in doing so, that we would learn how to disagree politically, but to love unconditionally and to live in unity. And we have got to learn how to live in unity. And so if you want to learn how to live in unity with each other, if you want to learn how to live in unity with your Democratic brother or your Republican sister, come back next week. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are God, that you are King, and that you sit on the throne. And that the reality is my future hope does not depend on who becomes president of the United States of America. And it will never depend on who becomes president of the United States of America. God, I pray that you would remind me of that when I need to be reminded of that. God, I pray that you would remind your church of that truth. And God, forgive us for the hate that we have had in our lives towards people on the other side of the line. God, convict us and forgive us. And God, teach us how to truly love the way you loved us. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.